Chapter Eight of A Gringo in Manana Land by Harry L. Foster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight: The Mexican Capital, Part One. One. It was another four days' journey to Mexico City, a journey directly eastward and a trifle skyward. Mexico is a mountainous country, so loftily mountainous that one has only to travel upward to pass in turn through every variety of climate and every type of landscape. The road led from Manzanillo through the hot coastal plain, through palm land and swamp land, where sweating semi-naked peons waded knee-deep in pools formed overnight by the first downpour of a tropic rainy season, to Colima, a conventional little city at the base of a snow-tipped volcano into the highlands through tortuous defiles where the cane gave way to maize and the jungle growth to cactus past tiny villages of adobe huts clustering about a huge white church that dwarfed the rugged gullies into a climate of eternal spring to guadalajara the second largest and most delightful city of the republic where orange trees were golden throughout the year and beyond to the wide expanses of mexico's high plateau to a land of vast gloomy spaces and lonely grandeur the grandeur of rolling yellow plains stretching to a distant horizon rimmed with jagged peaks where at twilight the purple shadows crept upward toward an azure sky to a country desolate and superb and a trifle wintry to the stay-at-home american mexico is only a sun-scorched desert in reality it is a land of everything of sandy wastes of rugged mountains of rank tropical jungles of temperate valleys of lowlands bathed in moist tropic heat of midlands where strawberries are always ripe even of highlands swept eternally by chilling winds yet always there is some intangible spirit about it that makes it unmistakably mexico especially upon the bleak plateau two the haunting melancholy of the high altitude seemed to have affected the natives below on the coast the poverty-stricken indians had appeared contented and happy on the tableland they were very solemn a peon marching behind his little burro wore the same stolid pack-animal expression as the beast himself there was no animation in the faces the greater part of the masculine population sat upon the station platforms wrapped in blankets and meditation waiting only for another day to pass the women more energetic than the men still besieged the car windows offering for sale the local products not in the cheery manner of the lowland women but hopelessly and mournfully as though they expected that no one would buy unimaginative as the men folks they all sold the same article whatever article some more energetic ancestor many years before had sold in their particular village at irapuato it was strawberries at celaya a species of fudge in tiny wooden boxes at queretaro opals from the neighboring mines at san juan del rio lariats and ropes they waited in a bedraggled group as the train pulled in they all advanced toward the same window when the first customer did not buy they shrugged their shoulders and turned away 
gradually it would dawn upon them that there were other passengers and they would drift out along the sides of the other cars holding up their baskets in mute appeal it is bulky exclaimed a mexican fellow-passenger they are all sodden with it here que baratos what drunkards bulque the cheap liquor of the plateau grows only in the highlands and sours too quickly to be transported elsewhere as we ascended toward the seventy five hundred foot altitude of the capital fields of maguey the source of the beverage became more and more frequent until they lined the railway in long even rows that covered the rolling plains to the distant mountain rim each cactus resembling a huge blue artichoke and adding another touch of colour to the landscape in blossoming the plant sends up a tall stalk from which if it be tapped there flows a milky fluid locally known as aguamil or honey-water which ferments very rapidly within a few hours it becomes a mild intoxicant with a taste like that of sour buttermilk within a few hours more it becomes a murder-inspiring poison with a taste which the most profane of mortals could never adequately describe in the fields peons could be seen each with a pigskin receptacle slung over his back trotting from plant to plant climbing upon the pulpy leaves of the big cactus as though he were some little bug crawling into a flower bending over the central pool to suck the liquid into a hollow gourd and discharging it into the pigskin sack when the bag was filled he would trot away to the hacienda with it a little stale pulque would start it fermenting on the morrow a series of early trains the equivalent of the milk trains elsewhere would carry it to all the neighbouring cities to befuddle the population there drunkenness is extremely common in mexico although pulque cannot be widely distributed the mexicans boil the lower leaves of their cactus and distill therefrom their mascal and tequila two fiery alcoholic stimulants condemned both by moralists and by connoisseurs of good liquor which are responsible for most of the acts of violence which transpire in the republic yet drunkenness is most prevalent in the highlands for pulque while comparatively mild is the cheapest thing in mexico and one can buy a quart or two for a few pennies on each station platform the men sat patiently waiting while the women offered their wares the old girl probably would not make a sale but quien sabe if she did there would be more money for pulque already sodden with it they wrapped their tattered blankets about them and watched fatalistically inhabitants of the world's richest country resigned to an empty life oblivious to the charm of the most fascinating country on all the earth for despite its gloom i know of no country more fascinating than the mexican plateau in the clear mountain air each picturesque detail of the vast landscape stood out distinctly the peaked hat of a little indian plodding solemnly behind his burrow a herd of cattle grazing leisurely upon the coarse bunch grass mere brown specks against the yellow hills a lonely white chapel with two slender towers and a massive dome standing by itself without the suggestion of a possible worshipper within miles and miles 
an infrequent hacienda with a host of tiny laborers shacks grouped about a crumbling ranch house that once had been a palace yet the indefinable charm of the scene lay not in the details but in the immensity of the canvas against the majestic sweep of the wasteland itself the details appeared dwarfed and isolated they gave one a feeling of utter loneliness even of sadness a strangely delicious sadness a bleak gloomy place was this plateau yet many years hence whenever one heard mexico one would think not of the desert or the jungle but of these vast stretches of yellow wasteland and this horizon of purple mountains and one would sense a haunting desire to see them again three after two days upon that plateau mexico city was a shock the train roared into a crowded station vociferous hotel runners burst into the car and fought up and down the aisles cajadores clamored outside the windows mexican friends met mexican friends with loud cries of joy all screamed noisily to make themselves heard above the din of klaxons from riotous streets outside some runner having driven rivals away from eustace and myself handed our suitcases through the window to a waiting desperado and we chased him frantically through the mob some chauffeur having driven rivals away from the suitcases packed them inside a taxi shoved us in after them and shot away at full speed the moment his assistant cranked the car leaving the assistant to dodge aside and jump aboard as best he could zigzagging madly through a fleet of other taxis all of which were shrieking their klaxons and roaring past with wide open cut out avoiding a dozen clanging trolley cars and scraping along the side of a thirteenth pausing momentarily while a rabid policeman waved his arms and screamed abuse in voluble spanish then tearing onward as wildly as before through a world of leaping pedestrians we drew up with a grinding of brakes before a modern hotel the chauffeur collected a modern fare a hotel clerk grunted at us with modern incivility a bellhop conducted us with modern condescension to a modern room and left us to spend a night of modern wakefulness listening to the nerve-wracking din of a thoroughly modern city outside after the plateau it seemed profane one had the illusion that in the midst of a grand cathedral service the bishop had given a college yell the organ had burst into jazz and the choir had danced an irish jig four in the morning eustace and i wrote president carranza a friendly little note requesting an interview then we set out to see the town it proved surprisingly attractive by daylight one of the most ornate in the western hemisphere outside of argentina or brazil if it lacked the impressive solidity of an american city and failed to startle with giant skyscrapers it undoubtedly surpassed new york or any other yankee metropolis including washington in the beauty of its parks and boulevards superficially it suggested paris along the streets of its business section the buildings all of the same height of three or four stories were of european architecture its avenues and gardens with their numerous statues and monuments were distinctly french there was a suggestion also of other lands there were german beer halls and rotskellers dignified english banks italian restaurants 
and Japanese curio shops. There was even the American quick lunch counter, where a darky from Alabama asked abruptly, What's yours, boss? and shouted, Want ham sandwich? through a wall opening to a white-capped cook. But French window displays of modes and perfumery predominated, and combining with the architecture, gave the city the general aspect of Paris. 5. It proved a cool city, however, both in climate and manners. Of the two, the former seemed the more kindly. If the air were chilly at morning or evening, either in summer or winter, wherein there is little variation, it was hot enough at midday to bring out the perspiration. But the manners remained constantly those of all large cities, even in Mexico. There was no reason that they should be otherwise. After travelling, nevertheless, through smaller towns, where natives looked upon a newcomer with interest, and other Americans immediately introduced themselves, we found that we were regarding the entire population of the capital as downright discourteous. Americans upon the street were not merely indifferent, but suspicious. When we attempted to stop one to inquire the way to the National Museum, he would duck aside and hurry away before we could speak. We had about decided to punch the next fellow-countryman we met, and were looking for a small one, when we discovered the reason for American distrust. Every fourth gringo in town seemed to be broke and in need of alms. Two clean-cut youngsters, lured here evidently by the illusion that anyone could make his fortune in Latin America, came into an American restaurant where we lunched, and begged the proprietor for a job washing dishes. For God's sake, ma'am, we're hungry, and we're willing to work. All we ask is our meals, and five pesos a week to cover room rent. Not a penny more. The proprietor shook his head. I'm sorry for them, he said, as the youths went out, but there's too many. They use up all your sympathy. Another youth stopped us in the park. I'm not a regular bum, he pleaded. I came down here because a fellow I knew invited me he was a mexican and he worked beside me in the auto factory up at detroit he was always telling me what a fine country this was after he went home he kept writing to me about how when i came to mexico his house would be my house i thought he meant it and he kept saying there were lots of jobs i didn't know it was their habit to say nice things like that just to please you i came down here three weeks ago and there were no jobs or else Mexicans took them on a salary that wouldn't support an American. And when I looked up my friend, he kept saying that his house was my house, but I've never seen the inside of it, and since the first day I haven't seen him. I've spent my last cent, and I'm up against it. But among the down and out were many less deserving with stories just as good. Some were draft evaders that had come to Mexico during the war, and had been unable to return. Others were professional vagabonds who had gravitated southward to enjoy the privileges of a country that recognized vagrancy as a legitimate profession. At first, like most new arrivals touched by the pitiful sight of a fellow countryman in misfortune in a foreign land, we gave liberally. But within a few days we grew hardened, and like the old-timers, we ducked away at the very approach of a strange American, even though he merely wished to ask his way to the National Museum. For companionship we confined ourselves to old Barlow, 
who occupied the hotel room next to ours and who drifted into our quarters now and then to gratify an old resident's love of spinning yarns he was somewhat of a pessimist he liked mexico but he always carried a gun a gray-haired man walking with a slight limp he claimed to have been present at every earthquake revolution and dogfight that had ever transpired in mexico or central america and when once started on a recital each murder suggested another best thing i ever did see was the duel cash bradley fought cash didn't know anything about swords so when this geezer challenged him he went up to ask general aguamonte for advice great old warhorse was aguamonte says he you don't need to know anything about swords except one little trick of swordsmanship i'm going to teach you when you first start the seconds will count three and at each count you bring down your sword and clash it politely with the other guy's sword by way of salute well on the count of three you just accidentally miss the other fellow's sword and salute him politely in the neck and believe me boys that little feat of swordsmanship just saved cash bradley's life then he would puff on his pipe and muse a while great old warhorse aramonte i remember when he had a run-in with president huata the bird Caranza chased out huata invited him up to the palace for tea and when aramonte was about to leave he says to him i've got forty soldiers on the staircase waiting to shoot you on your way home aramonte didn't blink an eyelash he just shoved his own gun into huarte's ribs and answered then you'll come with me and if one soldier raises a gun you'll die first they walked down the staircase arm in arm and kissed each other good-bye at the door and not a soldier fired a shot then he would muse again rapturously as though recalling pleasant memories Weta was some warhorse himself he used to be a general in madero's army until he suddenly walked into the palace with his army behind him and told madero to quit Hueta was always a great stickler for constitutionality so he wanted madero to sign a proper resignation and madero wouldn't resign Hueta heated the poker and started to tickle him with it you could see the blood running out of madero's eyes but he was stubborn as a mule and he just kept saying i'm the rightful president of mexico finally Hueta had to shoot him but he was a great stickler for constitutionality so he put madero's body in a coach and took it out for a ride and had his troops fire a volley on the coach then he told the world that madero was shot by his own men while fleeing the country someone had to take the presidency then so Hueta took it great stickler for constitutionality was Hueta. another puff on his pipe Carranza don't do his own shootin', but he's got plenty of generals to do it for him. If I was you boys and had written some nasty things about the old gent, like you say you have, I wouldn't wait for no interview. I'd take the next train to Veracruz and catch a boat. 6. We waited for the interview. The chances were that nothing we had written would ever be published. If it were, Carranza would never know it, and there was more of Mexico City to be seen if it bore a superficial resemblance to paris its population remained distinctly mexican in the early morning upon the avenida francisco y madero the mexican fifth avenue the boulevardiers were mostly indians in blankets and shop girls hurrying to work with black shawls over their heads gradually they gave way to people in european dress yet here and there in the crowd 
there passed an hoffendendo just in from his country estate and still wearing riding-boots and sombrero and a huge revolver pendant from a heavy leather belt encircling his ample girth then came the shoppers stout overpowdered matrons with a flock of senoritas in tow all in parisian garb but unmistakably mexican they came in handsome private cars alighting with the assistance of uniformed attendants and disappearing into the fashionable modistes establishments with the grand aristocratic air of the newly rich for most of the city's real aristocracy had fled the country during the long series of revolutions and these were largely the wives and daughters of the successful generals at noon the streets became almost deserted for here as everywhere the siesta was a ritual but later the crowd reappeared and now for a brief hour the avenida did bear some true resemblance to paris the women-folk came out in their new finery and rolled up and down in their handsome cars to display themselves the men having finished the day's work loitered along the sidewalks chattering merrily twiddling their canes puffing at their cigarettes and keeping an attentive eye on passing femininity but at twilight the women-folk disappeared and the chill of evening brought an end to the atmosphere of gaiety the men still loitered but the attentive eye was fixed now upon the shop-girls that hurried homeward why hasten chiquita they called after each mantilla muffled figure come with me instead sometimes the male voices were serious usually they were casual as though merely performing the rite considered a sacred duty by the men of all latin america of insulting the unchaperoned women the girls were accustomed to it and paid no attention either to the words or to the nudges and pinches that followed now and then there passed a street-walker an institution seldom seen in the smaller mexican cities where vice is more carefully segregated and she invited with a concentrated flash of eyes but she did not speak as might her counterpart in paris over the crowded streets there hung an air of gravity of mexican gravity the gravity of the high plateau darkness came the men pulled up their coat collars pulled in their necks and discussed the advisability of a cocktail lights appeared in thick clusters of glowing bulbs as in the french capital but they shed a radiance that inspired no gaiety the taxis still roared and rattled and shot zigzag through the streets like so many skating bogs on a mill-pond the trolleys passed at thirty-foot intervals incessantly clanging their gongs the policemen at each corner turned their alto adelante or go-stop signs first one way then another blowing their shrill whistles first with one toot then two toots and sending the traffic scurrying first in one direction then another above the avenida there rose the grand discord of a busy metropolis yet mexico city became merely noisy rather than lively acquaintances embraced acquaintances demonstratively yet with an air of conventionality the loitering throngs before the blazing doorways of theatres or cinemas were subdued and solemn the street-walkers invited with unsmiling eyes the boulevardiers withdrew group by group for their cocktails not to pleasant sidewalk cafes like those of paris but to formal spanish bar-rooms 
by ten o'clock the sidewalks were almost as empty as those of hermesillo only the flying taxis remained dashing about with screeching klaxons as though crying vainly this is paris it looked like paris and from a distance it sounded like paris but the parisian insouciance was missing this was still mexico the mexico of the high plateau End of chapter 8, part 1